at the oh, picnics tonight. Kids, oh, you're kids dismissed to Kids Church. Let's All go. All right. And kids, you'll definitely want to go. You don't want to be in here for this. All right. Because it's going to be tough. But we're going to start during the, the um, offering today because I have some introductory stuff to do as we begin. I hope everybody gets to have a vacation this summer as a family. But we are going to take a road trip as the church through the book of Romans. And so I want to give you some introductory stuff here before we begin and dive into God's Word. But you'll need to get your sermon notes out and your Bibles out and get ready to go through the book of Romans. It is the longest of Paul's epistles, of the letters that he writes. And it comes right after the book of Acts. It's one of the most important books in the New Testament. And many scholars call it Paul's most important work. And the reason they do is because it's Paul's most theological work. It explains our New Testament Christian faith and what it's all about. So allow me to begin with some introduction this morning. Our world is at a crisis point with a lot of issues that have to do with spiritual things. There's a lot of things in question nowadays in our society about sin and lifestyles. There's a lot of questions in our society about heaven and hell, and do they even really exist? There's a lot of questions about salvation, about free will versus determinism. Does God save everyone? Does He want everyone saved? Or does He just pick a chosen few? There's a lot of questions that are out there. And there's a lot of opinions to go with all of those questions. And in fact, you can find books that will tell you whatever you want to hear. But I want to tell you, as believers in Jesus Christ, we only get to go to one place, and that's the Bible. And that's why I want to go through Romans. Because Romans answers the big questions of our day. Romans gets to the bottom line answers of of the big issues that Christian faith today, the the big debates that are out there. They come in and it talks about... So you can hear all the opinions you want, but you want to go back to Scripture. And we're going to do our best to do that here during this series from the summer into the fall. We're going to begin in Romans chapter 1. We're going to try to take a chapter a week. We'll see how that goes. But I want to tell you as we go through these chapters that you might be on vacation and miss one, but you got to get the whole of it. So I'm going to ask you if you are on vacation that you tune in and you can watch and listen live online or you can listen later. And uh, we want you to be a part of it. So don't miss it. You might miss a week, but don't miss the whole of it because each chapter has a different part of our Christian faith. And I want to walk through that with you. And it was exciting when I got the statistics. We've only been streaming live for a couple weeks. But you're not going to believe this. Over 200 people have tuned in to watch our services live uh, just in the past couple weeks. And as I mentioned before, over 1,000 people download our sermons each week from our website. So that's exciting. But I want you to be a part. So definitely check in if you're traveling or anything this summer as we go on our summer road trip through Romans. The book of Romans is written to the Christians in Rome. We're not sure how the church began in Rome because no missionary or apostle went there to our knowledge. And and so uh, it was a Christian that started. Somebody that, and again, Rome is the center of the world. So some military person or trade person, somebody might have brought the gospel there. But our best guess comes that on the day of Pentecost, we know that there were people from Rome and Jerusalem. It's listed there right at the beginning of Acts chapter 2. In verses, I think, 9 or 10, you have all the cities listed where people from all around the world had come to Jerusalem 
for the day of Pentecost. And they hear Peter's sermon. And as he preaches, there, there are many, 3,000 that are saved, filled with the Holy Spirit, baptized, and are part of the church. But those 3,000 weren't from Jerusalem. They were from all over the world. And so we assume that a percentage of those were Romans that were there, that were saved, that came back and started a church in Rome. So that's how we assume that the church in Rome begins. And it's a strong church with many Christians. But the problem is, is that something happened along the way. And you notice in the greeting that will be read in just a moment, Paul does not greet the church in Rome. That's something he normally does, is he greets the church of the city he's writing to, but he doesn't do it in the book of Romans. He says to all the saints called by God. He greets the saints, not the church. And the reason is, is because there's been a split in that church between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And so Paul is writing to mediate this split, and in it describes the whole of our Christian faith. And you may say, well, what does that have to do with my life today? You'll be amazed at the lessons that come out from this. How did this split happen? Well, in 4950 AD, the Jews are banished from Rome by the emperor Claudius. He kicks all of the Jews out of Rome because they were, there was a slave uprising, or that's what history tells us, there's a slave uprising over a person by the name of Crestus. Crestus. And they, they assume this person's a slave. There's an uprising and all the Jews are banished from Rome. The reality is, is this, what, this is what history tells us, that there's a slave uprising about this person, Crestus. And so the, the Jews are, are banished. But the reality is, is that I believe this is actually Christ. And, and what we see in every city Paul goes to that the Jews and the Jewish Christians always fight over Jesus Christ. They're always fighting over the Anointed One, the Christ. And there's always uprisings in every city, and so we assume that this happened in Rome. Otherwise, why would he only banish the Jews from Rome? But he banishes them, and they are no longer allowed to live in their homes or, or work their land, and they have to leave. And they assume, because they are the ones that started the church and ran the church and were leaders of the church, that when they leave, the church will die when they go. They're gone for approximately uh, a decade or so until Claudius passes away. And then they're allowed to return to their homes, to their land, and they can begin once again being Romans. But when they come back, again, they assume the church died when they left, but the reality is there were Gentiles in the church, and the Gentiles saw tremendous growth while the Jews were gone. And revival happened, and, and now the Gentiles are leading the church. And so the Jews come back and want their old leadership positions back. They want their old customs back. And we're not sure if they're welcomed in or not to the church, but something happens where they're just not welcomed back into leadership. They're not welcomed back into, uh, into what they wanted to do because they said, now you have to assimilate and be a part of us. And they said, we don't want to do that. And so we have the split that happens between the Jewish Christians and the Gentile Christians. And the whole point of the gospel of Jesus Christ is to bring unity and not division. And so Paul has to address, what is this all about? And here's the bottom line that, that Paul, if you want to put all of Romans into just the bottom line, it's this. Paul's saying, it doesn't matter if you're a Jew. It doesn't matter if you're a Gentile. You are a sinner, and you need Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter who you are, male, female, Jew, it doesn't matter. You need Jesus. We all need Jesus the same. 
And that's what Paul is trying to get across. And, and what does it mean to need Jesus? And what does it mean to be a Christian? And, and so he goes through the book of Romans and tells us, and he comes to the end in Romans chapter 15. And I love this. And again, this puts it all together. Romans chapter 15, verses 5 and 6. Maybe we could put this on the board. But Romans 15, verses 5 and 6. It says, May God who gives this patience and encouragement help you to live in complete harmony with each other as is fitting for followers of Christ Jesus. Then all of you can join together with one voice giving praise and glory to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. I love that. Paul saying, look, I want you to come together. I want you to be in unity. I don't want you worshiping God with separate voices. With one voice we worship God. And then he goes on to talk about the Jews and the Gentiles a little bit more in Romans 15. But he says, I want you to be in unity. I want you to be together. And so that's what it's about. And really, the entire book of Romans is about our salvation. And specifically, justification by faith. They drew this last night, so I won't redraw today. But justification by faith. Now, we won't talk about that right now because that's in the chapters to come. But so that we can outline it in our mind here at an introduction, this is what Paul talks about. This is the justification by faith outline I give when I teach the book of Romans. In chapters 1 through 3, he talks about the need for justification by faith. That we're all sinners. It doesn't matter who you are. You have sinned. You've fallen short of the glory of God. Romans 3, we know that. And you need Jesus. And so we all need justification by faith. And then the second part is my favorite part. These chapters, chapters 4 through 8, are some of the best chapters in all of Scripture. Because they tell us that, 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 that we can be saved, that it doesn't matter what your need is or who you are. The scope of justification, the, the scope is it's overarching. You know, there's sin abounding, grace abounds more. We are more than conquerors in Jesus Christ. Everything works together for good. All those great verses come from these chapters that the scope of, of, of justification by faith, it doesn't matter how needy you are to be saved, you're covered. The scope covers everybody. And then he talks about the history of justification by faith, specifically talking about the Jewish people's relationship to God and how he called them and how he chose them. And in 9 through 11, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about simply, do we have a free will or is everything determined for us? Does God desire everyone to be saved or does he choose only a few to be saved? And we'll talk about that in chapters 9 through 11. Then finally, the evidence of justification by faith. If you are saved, if you have been justified by God, then there should be some fruit in your life. And your life should look different from the world's. And, and you should see what it means to live in harmony, live in love with brothers and sisters in Christ, in offering our bodies to Jesus Christ as a living sacrifice. All that is found in the evidence of justification by faith. So that's kind of an outline where we're going on a road trip, because whenever you take a road trip, you need a map, right? So that's our map that we're going to follow this summer. We're going to begin with chapter 1. Just so you don't have to hear my voice all day, I've invited uh, Jared Johnson to come, and he's going to read Romans chapter 1. And we're going to do this actually each week. We won't do an introduction like this each week, but probably during our offering time, I'm going to ask you just to get your hearts ready in the weeks to come, and we're going to read the chapter that we're going to deal with that day. Now, a chapter is a lot more than we normally read. And so what you need to do is just allow yourselves to be empowered by the Holy Spirit to kind of soak in God's Word for a while. Pastor Jared's going to read it. It's going to be on the screen. And um, so just allow the Word of God, Romans 1, to get inside of you. So thanks, Jared, for reading that this morning. 
Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart for the gospel of God. The gospel he promoted beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who as to his human nature was a descendant of David, and who through his spirit of holiness was declared with power to be the Son of God by his resurrection from the dead, Jesus Christ our Lord. Through him and for his name's sake, we receive grace and apostleship to call people from among all the Gentiles to the obedience that comes from faith. And you also are among those who are called to belong to Jesus Christ. To all in Rome who are loved by God and called to be saints, grace and peace to you from God our Father and from the Lord Jesus Christ. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is being reported all over the world. God, whom I serve with all my heart in preaching the gospel of his Son, is my witness how constantly to remember you in my prayers and at all times. And I pray that now, at last by God's will, the way may be opened for me to come to you. I long to see you so that I may impart to you some spiritual gifts to make you strong. That is, that you and I may be uh, mutually encouraged by each other's faith. I do not want you to be unaware, brothers, that I planned many times to come to you, but have been prevented from doing so until now, in order that I may have a harvest among you, just as I have had among the other Gentiles." I am obligated both to Greeks and non-Greeks, both to the wise and the foolish. That is why I am eager to preach the gospel also to you who are at Rome. I am not ashamed of the gospel, because it is the power of God for salvation for everyone who believes, first for the Jews, then for the Gentiles. For in gospel, a righteousness from God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith from first to last just as it is written, the righteousness will live by faith. The wrath of God is being revealed from heaven against all the godlessness and wickedness of men and suppress the truth by their wickedness. Since what may be known about God is planned to them because God has made it plain to them. For since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities His eternal power and divine nature have clearly seen being understood what has been made so that men are without excuse. For although they knew God, they neither glorified him as God nor gave gave thanks to him. But their thinking became futile and their foolish hearts were darkened. Although they claimed to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of For the immortal God, for images made to look like mortal man, and birds and animals and reptiles. Therefore, God gave them over in sinful desire of their hearts to sexual impurity, for the degrading of their bodies with one another. They exchanged the truth of God for a lie, and worshipped and served created things rather than the Creator, who is forever praised. Amen. Because of this, God gave them over to shameful lust. Even their women exchanged natural relations with unnatural ones. 
In the same way, men also abandoned natural relations with women and were inflamed with lust for one another. Men committed indecent acts with other men and received in themselves the due penalty for their perversion. Furthermore, since they did not think it worthwhile to retain the knowledge of God, he gave them over to depraved minds to do what ought not to be done. They have become filled with every kind of wickedness, evil, greed, and depravity. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, malice. They are gossipers, slanderers, God-haters, insolent, arrogant, and boastful. They invent ways of doing evil. They disobey their parents. They are senseless, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Although they know God's righteous decree that those who do such things deserve death, they are not only continued to do these very things, but also approved of those who practice them. Thanks, Jared, for reading. And, and uh, just keep your Bibles open to Romans chapter 1. You're going to need your Bibles during our road trip so that you can look back and, and appreciate Jared just reading that whole chapter just to kind of let it digest inside of us. But Paul is actually talking about a lot of things here in the first chapter. He begins by uh, giving his uh, great greeting of grace and peace. That's how Paul starts all of his letters, and he introduces himself to the Romans, and he shares how thankful he is for them, and that he prays for them. And he shares with them that I, I'm going to come and visit you. There's a possibility of a visit. And, and uh, Paul is the apostle to the Gentiles. It's not that Rome didn't know who he was. They knew exactly who Paul was. And he's probably the most gifted writer, speaker, intellectual of his day. Probably the most gifted man of God that's ever lived. The most yielded to the Holy Spirit that we've ever seen. And he says, I want to come and see you. And if you have your Bibles open, you can look at verse 14. It says, For I have a great sense of obligation to people in both the civilized world and the rest of the world, to the educated and the uneducated alike. He says, I am obligated. I am a debtor. I am called by God. He, he's using slave language here that, that a slave would say, I'm obligated. I, I'm in debt. I, I have this obligation, this duty to follow my master. And here's a willing servant of God saying, I am willing and I am obligated to God. And, and I'm obligated to serve the world. I'm obligated to do whatever he wants me to do. The reason is because Paul was saved from being a sinner, a murderer of Christians, to be the person that was the greatest evangelist to ever live. He went from being a, a murderer to being a preacher, and he says, I'm obligated to God for saving me, and I've got to share this good news with everybody. I owe him everything. I have this duty to all people. So he says, I'm obligated. In verse 15 it says, so I'm eager to come to you in Rome too to preach the good news. There's an urgency in Paul's tone. I've got to get there. There's a seriousness. I've got to share this good news that changed my life, that changed your life. We've got to share it with everyone. And he says in verse 16, probably the most popular verse in all of chapter 1, he says, for I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work, saving everyone who believes First the Jew, and then the Gentile. Verse 17 says, The good news tells us how God makes us right in His sight. Paul says, I am not ashamed of the Gospel because it's the power of God to salvation. And I love that. Paul's saying, I'm not ashamed because this Gospel that we have, this good news that we have, is powerful. It has full of power. It's full of the Greek word dunamis, which we get our word dynamite from. There is something so powerful about this good news that takes Paul from somebody who's killing Christians 
to now being the greatest evangelist. And, 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 and Paul realizes that there is power in the Gospel to change a life. And he says, I've got to preach that power. That power that is real. That power that is available to all who changed Paul but can also change us. And, and I don't know about you, but when I think about God's power, I get excited. Because I want to see the power of God in my life. Don't you? I mean, when I think about the power of God and, and the blessing that comes and the healing and the provision and all the good things that come from God's power, I get excited about that. But the question is, why do we need God's power in our life? Why do we need it? Do we really just need one more blessing? Because God has blessed us so much. Do we need one more miracle? Why do we need God's power? Why is Paul so urgent about this power? And here's the bottom line. We need the power of God in our life because we're sinners. That's what Paul's talking about here. We'll get to the power and the blessing and that later on, but he starts this way. He says in verse 18, he begins by saying, you are wicked. We need the power of God because we're sinners. If we had a default setting as human beings since Adam and Eve, it's that we're wicked. It's that we hate what is good and we love what is evil. And that's just how we work. And we choose other things and we reject God. And that's just how life works. If you look at the world, that's how it works. Paul says creation demands a Creator. That all of creation tells us about God. The design demands a designer. And when we go to the ocean or to the mountains or the Grand Canyon, we say, how can you not believe in God when we look at that? And yet the world rejects God. Paul says God revealed Himself through natural revelation. And we know about God, but whatever we know about God, we just, we just dismiss and it's not just about Christianity. Even people that don't know about Christ and maybe follow another religion, they know about God, but you know what? They still choose to do other things. We are wicked people. It's just that simple. Paul says you've got to understand where we come from. And here's the bottom line. He says in verse 20, and I don't care what excuse the world gives you, Paul tells us in the Word of God that there is no excuse for your wickedness. You are not allowed to say, God, I didn't know. And we'll talk maybe next week or the week after of, of the heathen that maybe have never heard the Gospel message. But Paul says right here in chapter 1, whatever you did know about God, you rejected. You have no excuse for the sin in your life. That's what Paul's saying. That's what the Word of God says. There is no excuse for sin. And yes, that's what we spend most of our time doing. Making excuses. But Paul says when there's no excuse, God's judgment will be poured out. You go back to the book of Genesis and see how God's judgment is poured out, whether it be on Adam and Eve, or in the flood, or in Sodom and Gomorrah. And those are big things. But what about now? In the age of grace, after the cross, how, does God, how is God's judgment poured out on sin? And, and it's very simple. Paul says when we sin... And when we choose to sin, God gives us over to that sin. He says, you want to know what judgment is? God says, okay, that's what you want. You can have it. And all of a sudden, we get taken over by that sin. We get taken over by that uncleanness. We get taken over by that lust. We, take, we get taken over by that reprobate mind. All of a sudden, it begins to take over us. 
And, and, and God says, I'm going to turn you over to that. If that's what you choose, if that's what you want, here you go. One translation says that God abandons us to our sin. I love what the Message Bible says about this. It says that in verse 28, it says, God will just stop bothering you. God will stop bothering you. If you want sin, God will stop bothering you. You know what the next line says in the message? Is then all hell will break loose. Because the Holy Spirit, God, says, you know what? If that's what you want, that's what you can have. And so instead of choosing Yahweh, the great I am, the true, the infinite, the incorruptible, as Paul says, we choose these things of this world that are temporary and depraved. We trade in the truth for a lie. And the problem is, is not only do we have that default setting that we're wicked, we also were created to worship God. We're instinctively religious. And so we've got to worship something. We've got to, we've got to give our lives to something. And so we end up worshiping the things of this world. We end up being religious about the way we do life. And, and, and the bottom line is this, and listen to me, we belong to what we worship. We belong to what we worship. And so if we worship God, and I'm not talking about singing on a Sunday morning. I'm talking about an entire life of worship to God. If we worship God with our life, we belong to Him. But if we live our lives for ourselves, for this world, or for something else, that's who we belong to. And in that day, Paul is talking about idols specifically. And, and we have idols today, not like they did back then, but we still have idols in our life. And you can say, what's the big deal? As the New Testament believers, what's the big deal? It's, it's meat offered to idols. What's the big deal? And, and Paul says this in 1 Corinthians 10.20. I'm saying, he's talking about, about idol worship. He's saying, I'm saying these sacrifices are offered to demons, not to God. You say, well, it's no big deal. It's no big deal what I do. It's no big deal if I do this or that. Look, it is a big deal. When you do not choose God, there's only one other side to choose. Now, it goes on to talk about lusts and sexual sins and appetites that we have. And, and he talks about uh, whether it be homosexuality or promiscuousness. He, he talks about the lust that begins to take over when God says, that's what you want, go ahead. Jack Hayford wrote a book called Fatal Attractions. And I encourage you to, to buy that online if, if you ever struggle with, with a, a sexual sin because he talks about why sexual sins are worse than other sins. And they're not worse because they're harder for God to forgive. That's not it. They're worse because they do more damage at a personal and interpersonal level. They destroy your life and the life of those around you. It hinders your growth with God. Not to mention the tremendous guilt and pain that comes from sexual sin. And I encourage you to, to, to get that book and be set free from, from those addictions. But again, if God says, that's what you want, I'll just stop bothering you. And when God stops bothering you, all hell breaks loose in your life. And maybe you say, well, I don't have a problem with that idols, worship, or lust. But, but think about the other things that we struggle with. With greed, or laziness, or pride, or envy, or gluttony. Think of those other things in our life that, that we don't think is any big deal. And God says, look, I don't want you just to be enslaved to those things. And, and, and these things, the consequence is death and destruction in your life. 
We're given over to sin. We forget about God. Then all of a sudden, we're controlled by that sin. We become, become full of that sin. And Romans 6, which we'll get to in a few weeks down the road, but look at Romans 6 with me right now. Romans 6, 16 says, Don't you realize that you become a slave of whatever you choose to obey? You can be a slave to sin, which leads to death. Or the good news is you can choose to obey God, which leads to righteous living. See, you belong to whoever you worship. You belong, you become a slave to whatever you obey. And so here's the bottom line of chapter 1. It doesn't matter who you are, you have a sin problem. You are a sinner. You are wicked. You choose evil and hate what is good. And because of that, you need to be saved. You need a Savior. You need the power of the good news in your life. That's the message of chapter 1. 1 Corinthians chapter 6, beginning of verse 9, says, Don't you realize that those who do wrong will not inherit the kingdom of God? Don't fool yourself for those who indulge in sexual sin or who worship idols or commit adultery or are male prostitutes or practice homosexuality or are thieves or are greedy or drunkards or are abusive or cheat people. None of these will inherit the kingdom of God. Some of you were once like that, but you were cleansed. You were made holy. You were made right with God by calling on the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and by the Spirit of our God. I love that. Don't be fooled. You can't just keep walking in sin. You need to call on the name of Jesus. And when you do, you will be set free and made holy and made right with God. See, right over here we have a cross that is empty. Because Jesus died on a cross and then He rose again. But He died on a cross for our sins. And in the coming chapters we'll realize what it means to be justified. What He did on the cross when He went to the cross and He destroyed all the evidence against us. The evidence of our sin and and all the things we did. He destroyed the evidence on the cross. So we stand before God. Yes, we are guilty. Yes, we are sinners. But there's no evidence against us. There's no penalty for our sin. His grace is poured out. And when you start with chapter 1, you realize that you are a sinner with no excuse. No excuses. You are a sinner with no excuses. Why is this so important? And I really want you to get a hold of this. Is a lot of you are probably saying, I really don't want to hear this. You know when you start a trip and you're a few miles down the road and the kids say, are we there yet? You know? Are we there to, we're more than conquerors yet? Are we, are we there yet? No. Because we're just starting this trip. But we have to get a hold of what Paul is saying here. That we are sinners. Because otherwise, the song Amazing Grace doesn't really make sense. See, when we start thinking we're better than we really are, not only are we taking the first step toward becoming a Pharisee, we've also taken the power out of the Gospel. Because we think we're special. We think we're pretty good. But the reality is we're not. And when we don't realize how much we need Jesus, we're in trouble. 
When Jesus goes over to a Pharisee's house named Simon, Simon doesn't welcome him in the house. But there's a prostitute that comes, falls at the feet of Jesus, anoints his feet, and wipes it with her hair. And Jesus gives a, a long illustration and ends up with this, that those that are forgiven much love much, and those who are forgiven little love little. The reality that night is not that the, the prostitute, the sinful woman, needed Jesus more. No, they both needed Jesus. She's the only one that recognized she needed Jesus. And what we have to do every day of our life is recognize how much we need Jesus. And then all of a sudden, when we sing songs about our chains being broken free and how amazing God's grace is, all of a sudden it makes sense. And it's like, yes, thank you, God. Because I am not all that. I am, I am like Paul. You know what Paul says over and over again? I am the chief of sinners. And is he just downplaying himself? No, he always remembered what he was. I hated God. I killed Christians. I did all these things. I thought I was doing the right thing, but I was wicked. And yet somehow His grace saved me. And he becomes enslaved to God, and he says, I am obligated. And that's where we need to be. We need to have the same attitude as Paul. I'm the chief of sinners. And yet God chooses me, this earthen vessel to work through. What I love about the Word of God is that even today, I believe, as I'm kind of wrapping this up, that God is bothering you. That God hasn't given up on you. That God hasn't turned you over to your wickedness. But that the Holy Spirit is still calling you today and calling you to the cross. And maybe your big repentance today is repenting for thinking that you're so good. That you're so holy. And that isn't God lucky to have you. And you would never say that out loud, but we act like it. And what we need to realize is, I am wicked, and I am a sinner. And God's grace is amazing because it can save someone like me. And that's where we start this trip. We don't start down the road where everything's good and isn't God good, but we start right here, that I am a sinner with no excuse. And if it wasn't for Jesus and what He did on the cross, I am nothing. We should not think more highly than ourselves than we ought. And we begin by repenting. And I'm not just talking about a one-time prayer. I'm talking about just saying, God, forgive me of my sin. Every day. Breaking the power of that sin over your life. Not thinking you're good or not trying to whitewash yourself like the Pharisees did, but just saying, God, you know what? I need you. So the moment I start thinking, well, I'm a pastor and I'm... No, I am a sinner saved by grace. And I need Jesus. I'm the least of these. I don't even know why he called me, but here I am. And we've got to get a hold of that in our hearts and minds. Would you bow your heads with me today? And I want to pray with you. We're just beginning this journey. We just looked at the road map. We just put our foot on the gas pedal. We're just getting started. But it's very clear when we start, Paul has something to say. It's that we are a sinner with no excuse. And if we don't come to Christ, He's going to turn us over to our sin. He's going to stop bothering us. And all hell is going to break through. But I want to tell you this morning, I believe in this moment, God is bothering you. 
that the Holy Spirit is active talking to you about some sin in your life. Maybe you've never given your heart to Jesus Christ. I want you to to right now, whether you're watching online, you're here this morning, or you're listening, I want you to surrender to Jesus Christ today. I want you to repent from being a sinner. And I want you to realize that you do not belong to that sin. You belong to God. And just as we have a default setting inside of us that's wicked, we were also created with a default setting to worship. And we choose what we worship. And I'm asking you today to choose to worship God. To surrender your life to God. And I'm going to ask you to pray a prayer of commitment to God. Maybe for the first time. Maybe to return to Him. Or maybe just to say today, I reject sin and I want to follow Christ. Would you repeat this prayer after me this morning? Dear Lord Jesus, I know that I'm a sinner. I need your forgiveness. I believe that you died for my sins. I want to turn from my sins. I now invite you to come into my heart and life. I want to trust and follow you as my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name, amen. Would you keep your heads bowed and your eyes closed? And just as Pastor Jonathan leads us in the song this morning, I want you just to have a, a quiet moment with the Lord as we reflect on, on who we are and who God is. And that when we really see ourselves in the light of God, we'll realize how amazing His grace is. Just spend some time digesting the Word today. My chains are gone I've been set free My God, my Savior has ransomed me And like a flood His mercy reigns Unending love Amazing grace My chains are gone I've been set free My God, my Savior Has ransomed me And like a flood His mercy reigns Unending love, amazing grace. Would you stand with me this morning and as sinners saved by grace, can we sing amazing grace this morning? Thank you, Lord. grace how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me and I once was lost but now I'm found was 
was blind, but now I see. Twas grace that taught my heart to fear, and grace my fears relieved. And how precious did that grace appear the hour I first relieved Cause my chains are gone I've been set free My God, my Savior Has ransomed me And like a flood his mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. My chains are gone, I've been set free. My God, my Savior has ransomed me. And like a flood, His mercy reigns, unending love, amazing grace. Thank you, God. Just to spend a moment extra in His uh, presence to realize how much He loved us. Wicked sinners with no excuse. And yet He still loved us. Loved us so much to go to the cross. He knows what you have done. He knows what you will do. And He still loves you. Just realize how much today God loves you and how amazing His grace actually is. That when we look to the darkest parts of our hearts and our minds, He still loves us. And He still forgives us. That truly makes grace amazing. I don't want you to ever forget who you are and how much He loves you. Because when it's in that moment, we'll really understand the love, the grace, the mercy of God. And I hope that you walk with that this week. And, and that just kind of kicks us off in understanding Romans. That we are sinners with no excuse. There are things that God says should not happen, do not do, and yet we do them. We choose them over and over again, rejecting God. But He's calling us to Himself. He's calling us to a new life. And that new life will come in the chapters that follow. And so I encourage you to come back next week and the week after and throughout the summer. And if you miss, just grab it online and um, make sure you get the whole of the Gospel. If you want to spend a little more time with the Lord at the end of service, you can do that. If you need special prayer, I'll be down front. If today you gave your heart to Jesus Christ, we have special packets up front. Just go ahead after church. Just come on up and grab one. 
There's a Bible in there, some explanation about salvation, some helps for you, and we want you to have that this morning. And so those packets are available to you. And um, let's go in the grace and peace of the Lord. Go in His love, go in His grace, go in His mercy today, and go in His blessing. Receive the blessing of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord smile on you and be gracious to you. May the Lord show you His favor and give you His peace. God, I thank you. I thank you for that blessing that rests upon us even though we're sinners, even though we're wicked, even though we're without excuse, even though we're guilty, God. You still love us. You still give us your favor, your peace. God, I don't know why, but every time you look at us, you smile. Thank you for making us your children. We don't deserve it. But God, I just pray that we would realize how much you love us and how awesome this good news is as we go through the book of Romans. And may we live it out to a lost and dying world. God, I pray that you keep us safe and keep us strong until we can gather together again as the church and worship you. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you want to spend some more time with the Lord, you can. But as you leave, make sure you sign up for the picnics just so those people know who's coming to their house. This Wednesday night, we'll have our Be Still prayer gathering in the night room. So if you can come out for that. But God bless you as you go this morning.